Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Good morning, Caitlin. Good evening, Rebecca. We're back behind the mic. We're back. I feel like I should use some kind of special radio voice to commemorate the occasion. Yes. Um, So I just want to let people know that you are in Shanghai, because I think Sometimes we, I know that you're there, but then when people ask about us, they want to know where you're at. <laughs> They're like, why, <laughs> oh, really? why are you by yourself? And I have to tell them, oh, yeah, Caitlin's not here. What? And then she's I have to explain. She's across the world. <laughs> yeah, she's across the world. I don't Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm in Shanghai. Yep. Yep. But this uh, <laughs> works out because we get to uh, touch base and catch up. Chat. Catch up. up. Catch up. Okay. <laughs> we get <Yeah>. to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to stay tied to Memphis, which is good for me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a little bit about um, some Memphis history today, okay. Caitlin. Oh, really? That's what? Yes. That's wow. what we're going to record about. We're going to record some Memphis history. Okay, this is so new to me. Yes. <laughs> and today's topic is Memphis wrestling. Memphis wrestling. Oh, <laughs> is that a wrestling noise? Yes, I'm so glad you did okay. that. <laughs> did you see that? Sorry, did you see the YouTube comment that we got about how like? Oh, we have we a YouTube really, channel. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, but it's like we sound really fake and stupid. Like we sound dumb. And did you see that one? No, because I don't get on. I ha- I haven't gotten on our YouTube account, but I will now. That's great. Yeah, I love that people are listening. In reference to our actual real life, I guess dumb sense of humor. I don't know. Hey. But they're like the forced jokes or something. I was like, nope, that's real laughing at I guess dumb jokes <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. dumb banter. I don't know. Oh, it's okay. Hey, the extra comments help us out though, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't mad, and then he just stopped commenting so it's oh. like darn you're kind of messing up my comment count here but i don't know who it was oh i kind of well. want to find it all right shout out to our youtube commenter they recommended that we had a nurse on the podcast next a nurse i think they commented on like the earthquake video and they were like why didn't you have a geologist on instead of oh, like okay. in my head i'm like it's not that kind of show yeah you know it's like a, you know it's showing everyone that you don't have to be an expert to learn about his anyway but uh, he's like, you should have a nurse on next time to talk about other stuff. Or what? I'm like, um, what would a nurse talk about? Um, oh, we could have a nurse come on and talk about yellow fever and tell us all true. about what yellow fever is like. Yes, and we're open to any kind of guest. So, <laughs> yeah, if you're a nurse and you want to be on our show, <laughs> yes, and if you know somebody to recommend, we are always accepting. Uh, new guests and educators. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's good <laughs> feedback. I need to look at her comments more. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so today's episode is Memphis Wrestling. And I did a, a little questionnaire on our Facebook page to see who all had some Memphis memories that they wanted to share. Uh, Memphis Wrestling memories. And we got one from... Jimmy Davenport, who remembers when wrestling was at the North Hall back in the 60s. They would turn the light down except on the ring. His favorite wrestlers were the Fargo brothers, Jackie and Rough House. He also liked Tojo, which Tojo Yamamoto. 
that's who that was. So okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, this is kind of a foreign language to me, all these names, and I had to look them up, but it's pretty entertaining. Well, can I say we got a comment on our Podbean uh-huh. on our Red Sox episode that said we did a good job for non-baseball people. Oh, wonderful. So I think you'll do a good job okay. for a non-wrestling well, person. Well, uh, fortunately, I have a guest for wrestling, <laughs> so that'll okay. help too, <laughs> because it's not just me trying to to uh, teach Memphis wrestling history because I don't know all about it, but I've learned a lot and um, and it's really interesting. So uh, we also have a memory from Pamela Miller who remembers the Mid-South Coliseum with handsome Jimmy Valiant. Oh. She also particularly enjoyed Jackie Fargo with Jeff Jarrett. And so I, I had to look up who Jimmy Valiant was because she did make a point to say he was handsome. He's thick, you know, not my kind. Okay. But he did have some really nice long hair, blonde locks. Oh. Yeah. Very, um, like, California style. Yeah. I could see him fitting in a California in, you know, in, in his time of wrestling, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Uh, and also, I learned from her comment that there was a Fargo strut. So, Jackie Fargo had this famous strut. Uh, and some people even said that... He was copying Ric Flair and his strut. So apparently strut is kind of a maybe a thing. Uh, but I checked and I think they look different. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jeff Jackie Fargo had his own distinguished strut. Let's let's post a side by side on on Facebook and see what people think. Yeah. Post this episode. I mean they all let's were kind of like they didn't do the exact same strut, but I saw several of them. And I didn't see any that I felt like were intruding on the others. Okay. I trust your judgment. Yeah, yeah. I'm a visual person, and I, I don't think anyone was really <laughs> copying. Unless struts are not a common thing, and they both were the only two that did struts. But I don't think that can be the, tr- the case. Surely not. Yeah. Uh, and then Katie Cook Forbes said, As a kid, one of my early memories of wrestling in the 90s was the dramatic music starting with the video of the statue on Saturday mornings. I am pretty sure they used that opening for a long time. In my house, cartoons went off and re- wrestling went on as my older brother got control of the remote. I eventually became a wrestling fan on my own, but I was too young to remember a lot of the classic Memphis wrestling, but I have since gone back and watched a lot of it. I do remember as a child being terrified of the moon dogs, which were these men that had chain collars and acted like dogs and would bark at the crowd, etc. I just that think that does sound terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I also remember feeling so bad for Lance Russell and Dave Brown because some of these wrestlers were so mean to them, and I always thought they were just trying to do their job. Uh, Of course, Jerry Lawler was, is, royalty in my house, and my dad used to love telling the story of seeing Lawler pick out a toaster at Target because he found it so normal, and there was Jerry Lawler (laughs) looking at toasters. (laughs) Oh, that would, yeah. Imagine just being next to Jerry Lawler and he's looking at toasters. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. And she said, I also loved going back and watching the Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman stuff, even though I wasn't alive to see it. So uh, thank you uh, for those who uh, posted their memories. And we're always willing to accept more. So if you have any, please share them with us. Yes. So there are a few things I want to mention before moving on to this episode. And one of them is, who did I interview? All right, because you're probably wondering who's going to talk about Memphis wrestling. Pins and needles. Yes. It's not the king himself, Jerry Lawler. Oh, yes. Or anybody that was in wrestling, unfortunately. But it 
is somebody by the name of Adam Pritchard, who happens to be my brother-in-law. And the reason is, he's from England, and when he came to visit us in Memphis, his favorite part of the city was visiting Channel 5, the TV station. Wow, okay. Yes. And the reason being... This is fascinating. The reason being because of Dave Brown. Oh. Yes. And so as you, as Katie Cook mentioned, Forbes mentioned, Dave Brown and Lance Russell were the commentators of Memphis Wrestling for a long time. And so Dave Brown is this huge celebrity to my brother-in-law who loves wrestling. But because of that, he's, he sees Memphis as a very iconic wrestling city. And so he educated me in Memphis wrestling. And I didn't know much about it. I thought it's kind of silly. I wasn't really sure what it's about. But he gave me a, a different perspective on it. I love that. Yeah. One of the things that he mentions in this interview is a, a wrestler named Sputnik Monroe. And the reason why I bring that up is because we just aired an episode. Uh, it was called The Shadier Side of Memphis with Neil Cameron, also <laughs> in England. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. This, is a, this is like it's all full circle, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, I don't think they met, though. Um, and he speaks on Sputnik Monroe and yeah. some of the the criminal history that he, he, he's involved with and the uh, racial barriers he partook in. And so it's worth going back and listening to that episode um, because Adam just kind of touches a little bit on it. And then the third thing is something he mentioned before we even recorded the episode and it was people wrestled here in Memphis and elsewhere uh, with live bears. And I thought, oh, is that um, maybe like a Memphis Grizzly thing? But no, bears were brought into the rings. <laughs> so oh. yeah, so wrestlers really did wrestle bears. Uh, I have a, a YouTube video from 1989 uh, that shows a, a wrestler wrestling with a, a bear. And uh, it's interesting. You know, and you can Surely still buy the actually like trained bears, right? Yeah, I keep wondering about that. Like, surely they're not aggressive. Like, they just enjoy wrestling, right? That's because they're like circus bears or something. But yeah, you can go back and uh, order a VHS tape if you like. There was like a tour of bears that wrestled with wrestlers. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, so this is all just a little introduction before we got into the episode with uh, Adam Pritchard. Cool. I'm excited. Yep. Here he is. So I first found wrestling, um, it was about, it was 1992, I was 12 years old, and there was a Saturday afternoon TV show where I grew up in England that was from um, WCW, which was one of the wrestling promotions, and I watched it with my dad, and I don't, I couldn't tell you exactly why, but I kind of fell in love with the sport from there, the the action, the the, the promos, the, the excitement of it, um, that was what really... Once, once I started watching it there, I kind of wanted to watch as much as I could of it. That was what got me um, into it. So you watched this in England? Yep. And what kind of... Is this wrestling in England or is this wrestling... No, this was American wrestling. This was the... Um, uh, back then, the two big promotions were the WWF and WCW. And this was WCW, who were owned by uh, Ted Turner, based out of Atlanta. And they had a, a one-hour show that showed on network television in England. Okay, so like, what drew you to You just liked it because it was I, rough. I wish I could go back and tell you exactly why. I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember it was a tag team match. There was like, 
they were kind of flying around the ring, the, the fighting with each other, the action, the, the craziness that was going on, something about it, I guess, just appealed to me, and I just couldn't get enough of it. And, and the that, outfits are the same, like the big belt, or like sleeveless strap tights. It was and just, I, um, I, I don't know, it was just the, 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 robes. the characters, yeah. the, the, the people, the, uh, the stories that, was going, that were going on, something about it, so. Okay, so when you see wrestling now, you still have the same love for it? Okay. I do, I do. The, the, the national wrestling, I, I'm not as much of a fan of, but there's so many smaller groups out there in, in the U.S. and internationally that where you can kind of, um, it's, it's, it's like with movies. You can find any different kind of movies. Uh, some people would prefer the kind of more independent offbeat movies. It's like that with wrestling. You can find the smaller groups out there with maybe a few hundred people in the crowd that, that kind of, you can find any type of wrestling you like, you can find whatever you want out there, either in Japan, in Mexico, in the U.S., so it's it's cool to kind of search and find find those different experiences that you like. So what mm-hmm. is your favorite? My favorite wrestling right now. Um, there's a group called Ring of Honor who are national have national TV and run around, and then New Japan Pro Wrestling is probably the most exciting group right now. They have Americans wrestling for them, and they have a streaming service with English commentary. They have a more athletic brand of wrestling, less of the over the top kind of silly storylines that you would get in the WWE right now. So it's more of a serious sport presentation, which appeals to me more. Okay, so that's why I think, because I don't know much about wrestling at all, aside from Hulk Hogan, and um, and it seems very theatrical and staged, but just to give kind of a little bit of a, a wrestling 101, why is wrestling always intended to be a staged fight like it's more of a production you mentioned story right are they telling a story like what is Mm -hmm. wrestling it has changed over the years it's always been staged um i think it really it became widely known that it was staged probably in the late 80s early 90s i know as a kid for about the first at least the first six months to a year i thought it was real and i forget what triggered me that it wasn't but but i think nowadays i'd say 89 percent of the fans know that everything Everything, it's not a legitimate fight. You can, If you want to see that, you can go watch the UFC or Mixed Martial Arts and see that, which is obviously a very different kind of presentation. It's kind of that it, when it's done at its best, it's kind of like a, a movie where you'll have like a, the good guy and the bad guy and the good guy has obstacles he has to get to to get to his ultimate goal, whether that's the championship or defeating his enemy or winning back the girl or whatever that is. So you, you will kind of, identify with him and follow him through his path and kind of go go through his ups and downs as as he's fighting to to reach that goal wait do they like present a story before they fight there yes oh. there, there'll be a purpose for the fights ideally you will kind of have them interview each other beforehand even if it's just the championship this person will explain why he wants the championship the other guy may be cheating and and using like underhand methods to keep the championship <laughs> so he's kind of the villain yeah you'll have okay. Especially in the old days, there was very clear, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. The bad guy will do whatever he needs to keep his title. And even if it, even if it involves cheating or like stealing things from other people, and the good guy is the one that you will, who does things the right way, who uh-huh. will fight for what is right, and you want to follow him and support him in his goal. Okay, so do you have an example of that kind of 
a good guy, bad guy. Sure. I mean, in the 80s, Hulk Hogan was the ultimate good guy. He was the all-American guy. You would have the big, mean, um, the big, mean foreign menace would come in, like a big, evil Russian guy would come in, and he'd be, like, (laughs) bad-mouthing America and, and, like, saying all these things. And Hulk Hogan would come in to defend the honor of the fans and the country, and you would all get behind him as he defeated this evil guy, and he would always triumph in the end, so... Okay. Back in the old days, you would have Russian. The bad guys would be Russian. You would have <laughs> Nazis. You would Nazis? have... Nazis? Yeah. The Nazis made a, an appearance in the yeah, wrestling? Yeah, they generally were. I mean, it was generally yeah. a, an American dressed, dressed up in a Nazi uniform. Yeah. But yeah, Speaking like back in the 50s and English. 60s, with a German accent. With a German okay. yeah. <laughs> They've gone away from that now, since nowadays it wouldn't be politically correct to have Nazis running around on screen. <laughs> yes. So a lot of places will... will but now you'll have the guys who... Someone who's trying, who they'll hold badmouth the fans, or who will try and steal the hero's girl, or who will just be a general, like, mean person. And you'll want to see the good guy punish him for that, basically beat him and take his championship, mm-hmm. or, or beat him and, and just prove that he's the better man and that good triumphs in the end. Okay, so now let me ask about a particular wrestler that I know of that's famous in Memphis. Was Jerry the King Lawler, is he a good guy or a bad guy? He was one of those kind of strange situations where he was always a good guy in Memphis. He was kind of the hero of Memphis. Okay. So back um, probably in the 70s and 80s, there was more of a territorial system in the U.S. So Memphis would have its own little wrestling with its own people. Texas would have its own wrestling. Um, Florida would have its own wrestling. Georgia would have its own wrestling, so and so. So you could have people... Someone, he would be a good guy in Memphis, but he could travel to another territory and be a bad guy there. Because people in Texas wouldn't see the Memphis television. People in Memphis wouldn't see the Texas television. So you could play kind of different roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be like playing a different character in a different movie almost. You'd be the same person, but you you could be a different character in in each territory you went through. That's okay. changed now since everything is pretty much national. But, right, you can't get away with that. But even then, I know in the 90s, he was he was employed by the WWF as a commentator role, and he would be a bad guy there. But when he would go back to Memphis, he was still a local hero. So to them, he would be a good guy. But to the rest of the country, he was seen as this kind of bad guy who was being mean to the, the heroes and their families and everything. How did you even know about, especially when you started at watching wrestling at 12, were you... Even in England and through your years, could you watch the little like Texas wrestling, Memphis wrestling, or sure? In? So, so back then there was um, there wasn't an internet. At least we didn't have the internet. Um, we didn't have cable television. So there was that one hour of wrestling was really all there was on television. But through uh, magazines and newsletters, you could get connected with other fans, and a lot of it was done by. Um, tape trading. People would have VHS tapes from other places that you could buy from them. And that was how I watched most of my wrestling through my teenage years, uh, whether it be other American companies, foreign companies. Um, Memphis was a place where, um, because it had been around and been such a big success locally, there was a lot of kind of legendary incidents that were from Memphis wrestling. In like 1981, Jerry Lawler and um, Terry Funk had a famous match in uh, Mid South Coliseum when it was completely empty, there was no one in there. So that Nobody was kind of nobody was a, in the Coliseum. No. They, but they um, just broadcasted it. Yep. 
Yep, Lance Russell did commentary. It was just the two of them and Lance Russell and no one else and camera people filming it. Okay. The idea was Terry Funk came in and was like, this is this is serious. I'm not doing this for the fans. I just want to beat you. Just me and you in the arena, no one else. But it was still staged. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> you kind of, you in the not magazines, the you fans, would read about something fans. like that uh-huh. and then be like, ooh, that sounds really cool. How do I get to see that? Yeah. Those other things, like there was a famous angle where Eddie Gilbert ran over Jerry Lawler with his car on television. So you hear something like that what? and you're like, I've got to see that. So you find a way to find, get someone who has it, who's recorded it. Someone in Memphis will record it off television. They will send that to someone else, something on, and someone else gets a copy of it and blah, blah, blah. Nowadays it's all on YouTube, but back then it was finding someone with a list of VHS tapes of all the different kind of wrestling and you would go buy the tape of whatever you wanted to see. And you would figure out a way to, to see these things. So you were familiar with Lawler, and who was this other guy that you talked about from Memphis? Um, the, pretty much everyone went through Memphis. Eddie Gilbert was in a big angle with Lawler. Terry Funk kind of went all around the country. But I'd say, especially in that time period, anyone who was anyone in wrestling was either in Memphis or passed through Memphis. Randy Savage, Rick Rude, Hulk Hogan, Jim Cornette, Jimmy Hart, and pretty much every big name had spent time in Memphis. It was kind of a very well-respected, well-known territory. It was yeah. famous for not paying well, but you you could get good experience there. Okay. And it was, was it always performed in the Mid-South Coliseum? I know there's a big connection mm-hmm. with wrestling in the Mid-South Coliseum. Because it was a territory, I think that the big shows were always, they had weekly shows in the Mid-South Coliseum. They would record the Saturday weekly. morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they would record the Saturday morning TV show in uh, the TV studio, which would bill to the show, which uh, which happened, I believe, on a Tuesday night in the Coliseum. And they would regularly sell like six, seven, eight thousand tickets to the show each week. Really? Every mm-hmm. week it would sell Every that week. much? And that, that same, the same wrestlers would go in the territory. They would go around different cities within that territory each week and do a similar show. But Memphis, the Mid-South Coliseum, was the kind of central point of the Memphis Territory, and that was where the big, all the big um, incidents would happen in those weekly shows. Okay. Or in the TV show on Saturday, too. The TV show would kind of build up the, the reasons for the fights that you would ideally then go pay your money to go to the Coliseum on Tuesday and watch them. Okay. So the running over the, with the car would happen on the Saturday morning, and then a month later you would want to go and see Jerry Lawler go and get revenge for being and run over. Gosh, it was all state. It is a performance. <laughs> okay. And no one likes the word fake for wrestling. That's the big, like, because it, it's, it's... It's an art? Can you say it's an art? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's the best art form out there. It's because, the best... In my opinion. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's something... It has a bit of everything. It has... Um, when it's done correctly, it's, it's got everything there is out there. It's got the kind of athleticism, it's the, the, the skilled athletes, they're gymnasts, they're actors, they're comedians. It's, it's got a little bit of everything when it's done, when it's done at its best. When it's done well. Okay. Um, you talked about, um, they would have the regular announcers and I know you mentioned Dave Brown. Was he the general announcer for these Coliseum? So I know for the TV show in Memphis, Lance Russell and Dave Brown were kind of the host. They would sit at their desk. Um, Dave Brown would do the announcing in the ring and Lance Russell would be the one who was doing the interviews. So pretty much any famous Jerry Lawler interview is going to be him standing there with Lance Russell holding a microphone and reacting to him. Okay. And, and Lance Russell was kind of famous in that role. He's widely known even today as the, the best person to have ever done that. So and him and Dave Brown, probably because they did it together for, I don't know, 
at least well over 10 years in a, in a big, successful, highly rated TV studio, they were known, they were seen as one of the best duos to, to broadcast wrestling for sure and known around the world. Really? Known around the world? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that... To a small group of people, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Lance Russell, was he a wrestler or? I don't believe so. If okay. he was, but by the time he, by the time I started watching him as commentator, he started commentating, I think in the sixties or seventies. So okay. he may have wrestled in the past, but he, he wasn't famous for being a wrestler, at least to, to my generation. He's famous for being a, a commentator, or commentator. Um, yeah, as a host of the wrestling show. And Dave Brown, was he a a weatherman at the time? I know he was involved in the news. Com- news. He was a, he was some something to do with the news station. Okay. And he was kind of pulled from the news station to the wrestling TV show to kind of give it credibility to that audience. Yeah. And then he I, I, he's, he seemed to be... A, a, he was kind of there as, as a fan, as a respected voice, as someone who... Because the important thing is when someone... The, the main commentators for a TV show have to have credibility with the audience. You have to believe what they are telling you. Yeah. So I think he was pulled into that role because if those if they don't take it seriously, why would anyone watching it take it seriously? Right. And if it's the guy who's the weatherman from the news station watching it, he already has that inbuilt credibility with the TV audience. So I think that was why he was chosen for that role. And he's he was excellent at it. So hopefully he was a fan because he seemed to do. And the, the interaction between him and Lance Russell was what made the show... Um, Part of what made the show successful, too, is those two as a team together were excellent. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. know the name of the show? Did you say it already? Um, the company was called CWA, which was Continental Wrestling Association. It's known as just Memphis Wrestling. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it had a name, but it, it ran from like 10 a.m. to 11.30 on Saturday mornings every morning on WMC. Okay. So it was... I don't, I, it was Memphis wrestling to anyone outside of Memphis, but I, it may okay. have been called something else. I'll see if I can look something up and see if may, maybe I can find a clip or something that I can put on show notes. And show notes for everyone listening will be memphistypehistory.com slash wrestling uh, for you to look up. So, okay, tell me if there's any other wrestling from Memphis that stood out to you that's memorable or maybe distinguishes wrestling that happened here that... It, was either a highlight um, or just something worth mentioning. I know one of the famous wrestlers in Memphis was um, Sputnik Monroe. He was a wrestler um, in the kind of 50, 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, he was one of he was very flamboyant. He would walk around in a purple robe with a cane. He was technically a bad guy, but he would hang out in in towns in. Um, and all the bars that were frequented by African-Americans in that, that section of town, and he became very popular among them. But back at that time, the Coliseum, all the events at the Coliseum were segregated, and, and uh, white people could sit in the floor seats, and the black people had to sit in the balcony. And he would get tired of going to the events where he would see the floor seats were half empty and the balcony was packed full of people. And um, he was popular enough where he was able to go to the promoters and say, listen, unless, unless you let my fans sit anywhere in the arena, I'm not going to wrestle for you anymore. But and, and he was already well-known, well-respected yeah. here in Memphis. Yeah, he was probably one of, either the biggest or one of the biggest stars in the territory. He was in main events. So he was able to go do that. And because of him, the wrestling events at the Coliseum were no longer segregated. And they were probably, the, I think, the first sporting event in the Memphis area where there wasn't segregated seating. And once they did that, it was it was a kind of a... It helped desegregate the rest of the sporting events in the, in the city so this as well. is nationwide this is pretty it's segregated right and he was the start of breaking that yeah at least in memphis it was purely because of him and his ultimatum and, and him him wanting his fans to be able to sit anywhere yeah. that they did that that they they would they would rather 
do that than lose him as their star in the territory. Well, this was bringing this in is that in audience the, yeah, here. This was in the 50s before the big civil rights movement, so it was a small component of that, but it was definitely a component in this area for sure. Wow. That is very interesting. And I know the Jerry Lawler and the Andy Kaufman um, segment on Letterman and their segments in the TV show, That's that was a, a popular tape that was traded around at the time too as well because that was so yeah, kind of so well-known. Do you know how that even got started? Mm-hmm. Okay, what there was a, um, a journalist named Bill Apter who um, was who knew Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman was always a big wrestling fan and wanted to somehow get involved with it. Oh. So he connected up with Bill Apter, who um, spoke to the WWF at the time, which was the larger federation. They didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't think there was much appeal in it. So he introduced him to Jerry Lawler, who thought this was a great idea. So they got to talking, and they did their. They had their situation where they would confront each other in, in the Coliseum. They took it to David Letterman, had the interaction on there, had the attack on there, and, and so all these interactions that they're having are put together. Yes, between Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler. They 100. But they knew. genuinely did not like each other, did they? Or was that just really well good acting? I mean, I, I, who knows? I would, only they would know. They, they definitely got on well together and organized this. They got on well enough together to do business together and knew exactly what each other was going to do. So yeah. they, were, they, they had a very successful business relationship. Uh-huh. Andy Kaufman sounds like he was a kind of guy that would be hard to get along with yeah. <laughs> in general. But, but they, they... Did they, he break his neck or something? Or no, that was all... It was all the, made up? Yeah. I mean, who knows? There may have been some little part of an injury there, but the neck brace was worn for effect. They had planned, they planned to go on Letterman, do that attack, and yeah, have and the yeah. big slap. <laughs> the slap. Um, Jerry Lawler gave him a pile driver in Memphis on the, in the Coliseum a couple of times. And ended Wait, up in what the, is that? It, the pile driver is was a move that was banned at the time for being too dangerous. It's where you take the person, flip them upside down, and drop them headfirst onto the canvas. Oh yeah, I so, thought that still happened. But it's ha- it happens. I mean, it's it happens. dangerous though. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. Yeah. It if if bad. if it if I mean if if you do it incorrectly, you can legitimately break someone's neck. People have had broken necks from it going wrong, but Ooh. done correctly. And Jerry Lawler is an expert in it. He can. He's take, an expert in this. Yes, this was one of his signature moves. He has probably done thousands of pile drivers in his career. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah certain people you would trust to give you one. He would be one of them for sure. Would you have? Would you let him do that to you? Oh, he, maybe not now, but twenty years ago for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that part, yeah, but there was no, there was no real. He didn't need a neck brace. That that was all for show, and to get him to, to get the fans interested in seeing him come back and get his revenge, he brought in a manager to come and help help him fight and. Yeah, it was all it was all part of the show. There's just actually a uh, documentary that came out with Andy and Jim Carrey mm-hmm. about the Man on the Moon movie, and this is how I even knew about that Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler thing. But I couldn't tell if through the document, the documentary of making Man on the Moon, if the reenactment with, with Jim Carrey and Jerry Lawler when that happened, if um, Jim Carrey did actually get hurt, or was that also that was staged? all staged? They Gosh, wanted to. They wanted to. Okay. At least from what they've said afterwards, it was staged, and it they, was, when it was to kind of to, to try and do the same kind of thing where they would try and pull the same kind of publicity where they okay. got so angry we're, we're at each other. We're talking Jerry Lawler's true professional. Then yeah, he did he's, the same stunt twice without hurting someone. Definitely one of the legends in the business for sure. He's known worldwide. Um, Definitely, in terms of giving interviews and, and promos, he's 
clearly known as one of the very best in the business of all time, for sure. He had his style in the ring where he wasn't the most athletic person, but even today, he's known for throwing the best wrestling punches. Okay. If someone wants to know how to do a wrestling punch, you just show him an old Jerry Lawler match, and he throws the best punches. Best punch. And do you know what um, Sputnik... What was his name? Sputnik? Sputnik Monroe. Monroe. What was his, like, um, skill or his... Uh what would you call I, it? I don't know. I don't know how many of his matches are out there because it was so long ago. Oh, so I know I've heard read people right. talking about his character and that, but I'm not sure. Back then, it was it was a, a much slower pace wrestling than you would see today. But yeah. I just know he was famous for being the flamboyant character in his uh, the the kind of the, the kind you would imagine when you think of a the, the wrestler with the big glittery robe and, and walking down on that. So yeah, he was technically a bad guy, but yeah, he was very popular with with certain segments of the population. That all yeah. right. Well, Adam, um, for closing, I wanted to pull up some uh, famous <laughs> wrestling quotes. I know. Um, and part of this is because you have an English accent. And <laughs> I wanted to uh, have you, what's the word, impersonate them in the best uh, wrestling voice you could come up with, whether it's by these wrestlers or not. Do you know who Marcus Aurelius is? These don't look like wrestlers. Billy Corgan oh. is a <laughs> Billy Smashing Corgan. Pumpkins oh, guy. <laughs> I don't know if I can... Oh, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Billy Corgan sounded familiar. <laughs> Sorry. Congressman James I'm Leach. I'm not sure if I can do an impression of Congressman James Leach. <laughs> <laughs> hold, on. hold on, hold on. Let me find some real ones in. Dan Gable? Is that a wrestler? He was a wrestler from like the 20s Whoops. or something. I mean, he was he's a very all-time wrestler, but I've never seen any video of him at all. Okay. John Cena. He's the current one. He's a big star. Oh, wait. The Rock. He's a true wrestler. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone everyone can do that. If you smell la, 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 what The Rock is cooking. What's the, name, what's the name of this podcast? It doesn't matter what the podcast name is. <laughs> That's another Rock quote. Okay, let's see if we can find a Memphis wrestler on here. <laughs> <laughs> it's filled with John Cena. Apparently, people love some John Cena. People, Kids today love John Cena. Uh, Jesse Ventura, or is that Rowdy, Roddy um, Piper? I don't know if I can. The ones like Hulk Hogan would be like, let me tell you something mean, Gene. <laughs> and everyone can do the Randy Savage, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that was your Hulk impersonation. They're, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, those are really good. Thanks for participating. <laughs> I don't see any Memphis um, ones on here. There's a lot of unknowns, so maybe it's they like to stay anonymous. I can see that. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. Dan Gable. Is he a wrestler? He's a wrestler. You that's don't know just who he a, is. No, that's just a serious quote. That's not a wrestling promo. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll end it with, do your, what was the one you just did? Which one? The one after Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. Slap, slap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Slim Jim guy was a wrestler. The Slim Jim guy was a wrestler. <laughs> That's how we need to end this. Dig it! <laughs> I can do the Slim Jim. <laughs> there you go. See, you're a wrestling fan. You just now didn't know it. Slim Jim. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. We like your type. Oh, yeah! 
You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. <laughs>